Welcome to Conversations of the Quantum Age. I'm Marlene Caldas, bringing you conversation with the foremost writers, innovators, and metaphysicians of our time. Our program is devoted to bringing you life-enhancing information on subjects of health and spirituality, science, and its connection to our metaphysical universe with a vision toward global harmony. For information on our guests, events, or books discussed on our show, for your questions or comments, call us anytime at 1-800-555-7070. That's 1-800-555-7070. My guests today are Don Richard Risso and Russ Hudson. They are the best-selling co-authors of Personality Types, and they've recently published their newest book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, The Complete Guide to Psychological and Spiritual Growth for the Nine Personality Types. I want to welcome both of you to the studio. Thank, Thank you, you for joining me. Thank you, Marlene. We're happy to be here. It's Thank a pleasure. You. It's a pleasure to have both of you. You know, this is quite a dynamic team. Uh, Don is one of the foremost writers and developers of the Enneagram in the world today, and he has published his works in numerous languages. Having been a Jesuit for 13 years, he holds degrees in English and philosophy, and he's been teaching the Enneagram for more than 20 years. Now, combine that with Russ, uh, Russ Hudson's background, uh, he is one of the principal scholars and innovative thinkers behind this methodology. That's quite a combination. Mm -hmm. Russ has also done training programs for quite a while and is the founding director of the International Enneagram Association, and he's been assisting Don for many years. So we have them both in the studio today. Also, Russ holds a degree in the East Asian Studies from Columbia University. So that's quite an interesting combination. I'll start with you, Don. Mm -hmm. How did you discover the symbol of the Enneagram? Well, I discovered it uh, when I was a Jesuit. Uh, I was studying theology in Toronto uh, in the early 70s. And How old were you at the time? At the time, I think I was about 27, 27, 28 years old. And the Enneagram had just come into the country in 1970 through the work of Claudio Naranjo, who was fairly well known here in the Bay Area. And uh, uh, the Enneagram was very, very nascent in its development. People hadn't really gotten into it very much at that time. And I saw the tremendous potential of the system for self-help and self-awareness. What, so what was it that made you see that? Well, I, I discovered my own type. I'm a type 4, and uh, when I got the original notes, which were very sketchy at the time, I, I read my type, and I was just absolutely amazed that uh, for the first time in my life, I could see a kind of a pattern to my life as a whole. And it explained a lot of things that I had just never really seen before. So I thought, wow, if this is true for me, it may well be true for other people as well. And so I started uh, a two-year period of testing the system and thinking, well, this seems almost too good to be true. I, I, I took a kind of a skeptical approach and thought that, well, I might uh, just do some research and see if the system held water. And after about a two, two-and-a-half-year period of doing that, uh, I realized I wasn't able to disprove it. I thought that every single thing, every single system that I had come across subsequently um, could be explained and fit into this larger patterning. And I said, well, it's time to start wor working on a book. Mm -hmm. And so I started on my first book. Little did I know that uh, when I started full-time work in 1975 that uh, it would take me 12 years to finish my first book. So I right. started a whole new <laughs> journey of uh, 12 years of work to, to do the research uh, that culminated in personality types. Mm -hmm. How yeah. interesting. How about you, Russ? Where were you when you discovered the Neogram? Were you in contact with him at all, or you both developed that on your own? 
Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? Well, we actually discovered the Enneagram independently and through sort of different channels. Uh, my introduction to the Enneagram came through the Gurdjieff work, actually. Um, I was involved with uh, a major Gurdjieff group in New York and had been since, you know, mid-70s. Um, and so that was my orientation. I, I knew of it as a process model, and we were taught uh, the Enneagram through uh, Gurdjieff's sacred dances, or, or what are called the movements. Uh, but I was very interested in the symbol and uh, curious. I remember reading a, a book by Charles Tart in this late 70s called Transpersonal Psychology that discussed Oscar Chazo's Enneagram of uh, Passions and Fixations which is the basis of this Enneagram of personality that we're working with, mm-hmm. uh, and thought it was interesting. But it was much later that I read, uh, in, I think in 1987, I read Don's first book, uh, Personality Types, found it fascinating, mm-hmm. and uh, subsequently contacted him, and gradually we uh, made friends mm-hmm. and decided to start working together. Began to read through the chapters of the types. It's almost like there was a presumed dysfunction of <laughs> each of the types. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if we begin with here's where the dysfunction is, and this is what the remedy, or this is what is the best that can be mm-hmm. achieved. And you actually broke it into t- uh, a number of segments. You talked about the vertical and the horizontal elements right. of this methodology. Can right. you expound on that a little sure. bit? Sure. The Enneagram, um, pure and simple, as most people know it, is a horizontal categorization, sort of like a, um, a checkerboard or something. It's one-dimensional. There are nine different categories or nine different areas. It's, it's a way of uh, describing distinctions between these different character mm-hmm. styles. Mm-hmm. One of the major uh, contributions that I've made, and Russ has continued to help me to refine it, is the vertical dimension called the levels of development, where uh, we distinguish within a type, within a given uh, temperament and, and style, uh, levels of health, or degrees of health, you might say, so that there can be very, very high-functioning people who really have not lost connection with their essential nature and their spiritual qualities very much at all, or people who, for whatever reasons, usually having to do with their past and their childhoods, have been less fortunate, and they have been more blocked and more um, um, harmed in some way so that they had to defend themselves. They become more identified with their personality structures as a defensive mechanism, and as a result, their behavior is more conflictual and more um, negative and destructive both to themselves and to other people. So we see that they're down the levels of development in terms of their own functionality. So making this vertical distinction is really important because it's just a common sense observation that people, of course, uh, fluctuate and change from day to day. There's all all kinds of uh, freedom and lack of freedom that we experience in ourselves constantly. And our way of approaching the system accounts for that, too. Yeah, it could be just in different areas of our lives as well. We might uh, be great at work but have a lot of trouble with personal relationships. So we have ways of addressing those distinctions, too. Right. Mm-hmm. One part mm-hmm. of yourself could act and, be, and act out in a much healthier fashion in one uh, area of life than it, it does in another. Yeah, exactly, very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can be very, very good and very happy in your professional life but uh, have trouble with your kids or vice versa. There's all kinds of different dimensions to the personality structure. Right. And, and the Enneagram, more than any sim- uh, system that I've ever seen, is able to accommodate and to explain so many of these dimensions. I found I found the uh, accuracy of the types absolutely remarkable. I, I really Thank couldn't you. imagine <laughs> how you uh, activated 
that kind of information in the Enneagram? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, it's really not anything mystical. It's the fact of just observing yourself and other people. And, of course, we've done a lot of research, reading and the psychological right, literature right. and so forth. That, but, that's but part of an, it. there's an element of sacred dramaturia involved mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm, symbol. Mm -hmm. yes. You spoke about the circle. You spoke about the triangle. The, mm -hmm. Is it the hexad? Yes. Is that yes, what it is? That's right. And the combination. Speak a little about these uh, well, the, levels the, of geometry. Sure. The, uh, the basis of the symbol... Uh, well, the symbol itself is ancient. It mm -hmm. goes back uh, probably, well, we can trace it with some certainty back to the Greeks. To It seems to be from Pythagoras. Uh, Oscar Chazo, again, the man who first uh, synthesized these nine types with the symbol, um, calls it the ninth Pythagorean seal. Uh, and But it's a symbol that has the circle, which represents unity. It's kind of a universal mandala. Uh, you can find in many, many, many cultures, unity, wholeness, God, reality. The self. The self. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then uh, there's a triangle in it, which represents what's called the law of three. The idea uh, that reality in manifestation, in specificity, is a result of three forces. It's well known in uh, in the Judeo-Christian traditions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or... Uh, in in Jewish mysticism in the Kabbalah, there's uh, Keter, Chochma, uh, and Bina, the the supernal triad. There's other ideas in other religious traditions. There's uh, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. In, there's in also Hinduism. scientific traditions of electron, neutron, <laughs> proton. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You, yes. You see it everywhere. See it, everywhere. It's almost That's like right. the macrocosm and the microcosm all operate on the same principle. Uh, Absolutely. The law of three, not duality, as we are usually taught to think. Right. We keep thinking, oh, it's paradox. It's opposite. It's either black or white. Yeah. You know? Exactly. It's either big or small. Whatever. Right or wrong. It's, actually, exactly. there's a lot of shades in between that this uh, this works with. That's correct. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that's so interesting is that once you start working with the Enneagram, uh, either looking at the personality types or just understanding as a symbol, you start to think in, about things triadically rather than dualistically. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And then there's the third component, um, which is the hexad, mm -hmm. which has to do with the law of seven. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with the idea of process, that everything has an identity and it has an organic unity, that's the circle, the triangle, but then everything, as we know, is changing. There's nothing right. in the universe that's static and is is um, is just itself. It, it is always in process, becoming more fully itself or less fully itself. And you notice how human beings we have a lot of resistance to process. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. We just want to go from black to white. We don't want to do process. Right. You it's, see that a lot in the Wheel of Fortune, like in the Tarot card. Uh -huh. yes. How people struggle with themselves. It's like things are shifting. Why don't you just surrender to the process? And mm -hmm. then why mm -hmm. are you making it so hard on yourself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and what the Enneagram teaches is not only is there process, but that there's a lawful process, that there, everyone has to go through stages of, of growth. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very organic in that sense. For those of you just joining us, I'm Marlene Caldas, and you're listening to Conversations of the Quantum Age. My guests today are Don Richard Risso and Russ Hudson. They are the best-selling co-authors of Personality Types, and they've recently published their newest book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram, The Complete Guide to Psychological and Spiritual Growth, for the nine personality types. Both have an extensive background in philosophical studies and have distinguished themselves in the conversation of the Enneagram and its relevance to the nine personality types. Now, the nine personality types are 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, shall we start? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, label uh, them for us okay. so that people know what we're talking about sure. here. Well, let's start at the very beginning. Well, uh, type one, it, we call the reformer. Other teachers of the Enneagram use different names, but we like to use uh, names that give a little more positive emphasis. Uh, the reformer, this is a kind of a serious person, a very idealistic person also. Uh, high standards, uh, very principled, um, a strong sense of right and wrong. Uh, people can be, these kind of folks can be exemplars of a, of a way of living. They, they think they've got a good handle on a, a right way to live. Do you have an example of, of a, a nationally known figure that you would say would be the reformer? Oh, sure. There's lots of them. I think Al Gore, uh, and uh, Martha Stewart would be good. Right. <laughs> just a, a female example. We've all been reformed by Martha, of course. Yeah. Yes, she's, she's <laughs> helped right. us in many ways. She's <laughs> always trying to help us be perfect, and uh, that's what really uh, ones are. The high side of one is that uh, they really do strive for, for perfection and for helping people to improve themselves as right. well as to improve uh, their own lives. But the downside is they t- tend to be judgmental and critical and too perfectionistic, and nothing is ever My way good or enough. no way at all. Well, that's kind of a different type. I think it's like there's a right way and a wrong way and god dog it we're going to get it the right way and exactly. there's, there's a real kind of rigidity about this type. interesting mm-hmm. what about the second uh, well, number two type two we call this the helper and this is an emotional type a very heart based feeling type of person now is reformer also an emotional type no it's no, more of a, a gut type it's okay. more of a, a of an instinctual type it's a different center actually when the enneagram distinguishes between people of different centers in terms of their in- instinct driven right. heart driven or head type or, or intellectually right, right. driven types I see. but the the helper is an emotionally based type and they have a tremendous capacity to get involved with people and have a tremendous empathetic connection with other people often have a psychic sort of quality of knowing other people's needs and their states. Uh, they can be very, very good caretakers for people that way. The, 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 the high side of the two is that they're very generous, supportive, nurturing, thoughtful, you know, considerate, uh, go really out of their way to help other people. The downside is, as you might guess, is they tend to get too involved with other people's lives and forget their own needs. They tend to live for other people, get to be too self-sacrificial. Real little busybodies, huh? <laughs> can be, can be. That's the, the on the vertical dimension. You see, everything shifts by level, and right. on the high side, it's it's wonderful. You couldn't ask for a better friend than that's a two. But true. as you go down the levels, then of course things shift, and the person becomes more uh, needy, and yet wants not to show their own neediness. So they're trying to help other people all the time. And, and of course, this in the book is is a lot more fleshed out than this this yeah. brief, very brief description, and, yeah. and it's really fascinating. Who would you say in our national figures represent a two, the helper? Well, I think twos tend not to seek out the spotlight in the same way. They they are more often supportive, like to play a supportive role. But you see a number of uh, talk show hosts, for instance, might uh, be this type. I think Sally Jesse Raphael, mm-hmm. example of a two. Uh, not Jerry Springer. No, not Jerry, not Jerry Springer. Springer. No, <laughs> definitely he's not. He's not helping us he, at all, is that it? No, he's not. <laughs> he's, a not he's not comforting and soothing or helping people that way. No. Yeah, uh, no. And we have people like uh, Arsenio Hall. Yeah. Um, right, right. Uh, yes. And then Merv Griffin, people like that. A lot of musicians, because it's not just giving themselves or service, but it's also giving a gift, giving a gift of their emotional okay. Would uh, you expressiveness. Say the bounty of the heart. You know, somebody like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pavarotti. Pavar- Luciano mm. Pavarotti is mm. a two, self-typed. Right. Uh, right. And uh, Stevie Wonder, another example. Just that, that sort of 
sharing the bounty of the heart. Mm -hmm. That's right. Oh, how interesting. What, mm -hmm. a, what a wonderful sentence, the bounty of the heart. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, so there's the reformer and there's the helper. The th uh, type three is the... Uh, we call type three the achiever. Uh, this is a pretty... Uh, powerful American archetype. Yeah, I was going to mention that. You mm -hmm. actually are able to define, you know, which countries like which types the best. For example, America really adores the achiever. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because uh, that w is not necessarily true in other cultures. We work in uh, Japan uh -huh. on a f fairly regular basis, and this particular orientation is kind of frowned upon in right. that country. Mm -hmm. What is appreciated in that country. Which type? Uh, type 6. Which, which type? is? Uh, the loyalist. The loyalist. loyalist. We'll, get, we'll get to that <laughs> as we track around. <laughs> You'll see the difference, yeah. Yeah, but the, the, the type 3, we, we all can recognize here pretty readily. This is a person who really strives to excel, to be the best, to be outstanding at what they do. So there's a lot of emphasis on personal performance. And that could be in one's career, and often is, but it could be how I conduct myself with my family, uh, being the best mom on the block. Uh, whatever a three puts their energy into, they want to be outstanding at it. And so there's a real desire to kind of shine, to be a star, if you will, mm -hmm. in, in what I do. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you get, uh, on the high side, people who really do develop themselves and help other people uh, to see how they can develop themselves. Um, Tony Robbins pops in, into mind mm -hmm. as, as a mm -hmm. kind of archetypal three here. But there's a real uh, desire to, to uh, just develop all the capacities of the self that I can and just be an outstanding person. And they actually do that. The downside is that threes can become so driven by the pursuit of their goals, by the pursuit of uh, Success, whatever they think they're supposed mm -hmm. to be to be okay, mm -hmm. that they, uh, they can really lose touch with themselves in a profound way, especially with their hearts. They can get so really caught up in the rat race of their own personal ambition. Right. Mm. Now, you have, you have uh, tests in the book that you can take, yes. these very accurate questionnaires that determine your type, mm -hmm. right? Using well, this I should say they help determine the they type. They help determine. The, because we really want to emphasize that the questionnaires are only, at best, about 80% accurate. There is always going to be a certain, you know... A little schizophrenia there, right? Well, a little <laughs> confusion, a little lack of clarity, to be sure. I wouldn't go that far as to say schizophrenic. Oh, it could but, be. Who knows? But who knows? It all depends <laughs> on which dimension. You're in, That's you know. right. And, well, in any event, they're, they're pretty accurate for, for a paper and pencil test, uh, but the most important way to determine your type is to use the test as a jumping-off point to kind of point you in a direction of, of possibilities and then go to the book and uh, read the descriptions and reflect on your own experience for a while. That, that's, that's how we recommend to right. use this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things I noticed in reading, like I read 6, 7, and 8 together. And one of the things you talked about is there's actually groupings mm -hmm. of these personality types. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. One of the predominant aspects of those three numbers was fear. Mm -hmm. Fear as a base of operations, so right. to speak, or a right. modus operandi, like yeah. what it is that drives them, either good or bad. Right. Um, I found that very interesting. Yes, well, there are all kinds of deeper structures and deeper insights that you can get into the types as groups, uh, as you just as we lay it out in the book and as you reflect on your own experience more, mm -hmm. more deeply. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. So it's very interesting to see that for types 5, 6, and 7, fear really drives them. For types 8, 9, and 1, there's a resistance to reality that drives them and, mm -hmm. and a lot of un, uh, buried rage. Yeah, a desire yeah. to not be messed with, yeah. really. 
Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> resistance to reality is a fancy way of saying that. And then uh, two, three, and four is uh, oh, they're all kind of shame-based in a sense, and they're trying to stay out of their shame and their own sense of deficiency. So this is the dysfunction of mm-hmm. these personality types. And then you have exercises and meditations Lots and, of them. you know, good yes. advice as to how yes. to go about yes. managing this energy effectively, would you say? Yes, that's what the book is all about. It's mm-hmm. really, it's not only just describing the types by any means, but it's really a, a kind of a inner workbook uh, mm-hmm. in which you do your inner work in which we give you a lot of tips and a lot of specific things to work on so that you can begin to become a better self-observer from moment to moment so that you can work on that yourself. Yeah, one of the positive messages of the book, I think, is that uh, the good qualities, the, the, the spiritual essential aspects of true nature that we're all looking for are already here. We already have them. It's just a question of disengaging from some of the illusions, false perceptions, sort of defensive mm-hmm. modes of, of being in the world that actually liberate those qualities and let us live out of them more we fully. Do. We have very robotic uh, attitudes and behaviors. That yes. just, they just get wired in early and Absolutely. we just automatically yes. and robotically just stay on that. You know, So this kind of helps kind of break that up a little bit and give oh, you a little more exactly. awareness. Oh, exactly. That's the key word, awareness of this uh, breaks it up. Now, you talk about essential guidance that diminishes when we forget how to be present. <laughs> I, I find this is, is so valuable, a conversation mm-hmm. in Ram Dass's work mm-hmm. and Deepak's work and Carolyn mm-hmm. Mace's work, the presence, the idea, the Zukov's work, mm-hmm. the, the idea of being present. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How does that relate to the use of the Enneagram mm-hmm. well, we and the work that you've done together? Mm-hmm. Well, we have a little expression that we uh, give our students uh, in workshops and so forth is that there is no substitute for presence, that it is the means by which we actually are able to um, receive transformative energies. In other words, you have to show up to, to get the prize. Um, <laughs> we, we have moments, we have epiphanies, we have little uh, experiences, everyone does, where uh, the aha. The, yeah. those ahas where something more profound breaks through. But the, our capacity to develop our attention so that we can remain present in our bodies with our hearts open and our minds quiet and receptive, rapidly accelerates this process. It gives us many, many more of these moments. It makes us available to the action of essence or spirit so that we can be transformed on an ongoing basis. And the other thing about it is it, it removes spirituality as something that you just do at, in a retreat or some remote place. Presence is something you can do uh, you know, when you're stuck in traffic mm-hmm. on the Bay Bridge or on mm-hmm. the 101, uh, you know, it's something you can do when you're uh, having dinner with your spouse. I, I get this image of taking a teaspoon of serenity yes. when you come present. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can do it any time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, it, there's just this thing. It, it, yes, it brings serenity. It also gives us a perspective on whatever we're feeling at that moment that might be unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of lets us be there with that uncomfortable feeling rather than being lost in it mm-hmm. and just reacting out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, also we teach, and I, I think it's uh, accepted by a lot of people, is that our, our soul, our, our essential nature is always trying to manifest itself and always trying to communicate with us, always trying to blossom and unfold. It's just that many of the structures of our personality have been built as defensive mechanisms uh, that block us from experiencing that. So what we have to do is to become more aware of these um, 
these uh, structures, mm -hmm. and in the awareness of them, then they begin to melt and begin to unlock, right. and then, yes, presence arises. It's not something like we consciously or through our willpower in some way say, I'm, I'm going to be more present right, right I'm now. I'm going to go be present. Yeah, right. yeah. No, it it's like, like the natural byproduct of cultivating that awareness. That's right. Yes. You write that uh, psychological integration and spiritual reala uh, realization are not separate processes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Why and what do you mean? Well, uh, our psychological realization is the way that we, or psychological uh, issues are the way that we go to sleep. Uh, to reality, go become more um, dysfunctional, shut down, and as we work on our psychological funk, uh, our psychological issues, what happens is that uh, we begin to awaken, and as we awaken, we begin to get more in touch with reality. And our experience and our teaching is that reality is spiritual. The trouble is we're not in reality most of the time. If we were really in touch with reality, we would be ecstatic, we'd be happy, we'd be feeling at one with the universe, at one with ourselves, compassionate, loving, all the kind of wonderful things that we pay lip service to and, and say that we want to have, but are, and, and which are available to us if we are willing to go through the psychological barriers that stand in the way. So psychology is the bridge towards spirituality only in the sense that it's all one. Life and consciousness and, and experience are all one, but certain things stand in the way of experiencing that oneness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot with our students about uh, the danger of the spiritual bypass, mm -hmm. that a lot of us want to avoid dealing with the, the sort of mucky muck of our uh, psychological baggage and just go straight to the to the bliss and, and they don't want to do the process exactly that's that's it. yeah, yeah that's we it. want to we want to right. jump into heaven without you know having really lived on the earth mm -hmm. and uh basically we feel that any that kind of a movement where of course we do have spiritual experiences and they're very important and they help us see what our personality or our ego is in relation to something bigger uh when we do this spiritual bypass we're in a sense it's a kind of it's a self-rejection we're trying to say no to aspects of ourselves, rather than bringing a kind of a loving or a compassionate attention to these defenses, understanding them, understanding why they occurred, and then sort of letting them be released. It's it's a very different uh, way of approaching the self that I think is a lot more uh, loving and compassionate. Well, it reminds me of Connie Zweig's book, Romancing the Shadow. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. at some yes. point, it's like, guess what? You got stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Black, white, and gray. <laughs> yeah, the, and even you know, there are even major gurus and people who have gotten into some trouble because mm -hmm. even they had some areas that they hadn't quite worked out. You know, it's, exactly. It, it exactly. reminds us that we're still human beings. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, for those of you who would like more information specifically and directly uh, from uh, Don Richard Risto and Russ Hudson, you can certainly call for more information. They are doing workshops. Uh, all over the country, right? In well, numerous areas. Mm -hmm, We're mm -hmm. having one in the Bay Area this weekend. Uh, this weekend. At the Fort starts, Mason Center. Mm -hmm. Starts Friday night mm -hmm. at the Fort Mason Center. And mm -hmm. you can call 1888 in Neagram. That's 1888 E N N E A G R A M. 
one triple eight neogram. I want to thank you both for joining me because we've just run out of time. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> the time we have, but it should be a very, very interesting uh, workshop, certainly. And for those of you who've been listening, thank you for joining me. We've been talking to our wonderful guests today, uh, Don Richard Arisso, Russ Hudson. They're the best-selling co-authors of Personality Types, and now they've done this wonderful new book called The Wisdom of the Enneagram. This is a complete guide to psychological and spiritual growth for the nine personality types. It seems to me that there's nothing new under the sun. We're blessed with infinite forces and sources for self-illumination from all times and ages. Are we entering a more critical state of elevated consciousness? You know, a plethora of navigational tools continue to increase our ability to enjoy our human experience more fully and develop our integrity and expand our awareness and responsibility for the physical aspect of our lives here. You know, these tools appear to assist us in elevating our consciousness. Are we about to reach critical mass in the conversation of this nature? It is said by many mystics, seekers, and masters alike that this collective harmony would indeed birth the true Mashiach, the oneness we all hunger for. For Conversations of the Quantum Age, I'm Marlene Caldas. Conversations of the Quantum Age is produced by Marlene Caldas, clairvoyant metaphysician, business and personal advisor, and creator of the Intention Map Method of Personal Success. Known worldwide for her remarkable accuracy, Marlene has assisted thousands of individuals in their journey towards prosperity and self-discovery. Conversations is underwritten by Tarot by Telephone, Marlene's personal consulting service. To schedule a private session with her by phone, call toll-free 1-800-555-7070. That's 1-800-555-7070.